Jamaica is facing mounting international demands to change its abortion law. A young woman with Down syndrome is suing the United Kingdom government over its eugenic abortion policy. A Winnipeg man is accused of murdering his young toddler after failing to abort her. The University of Saskatchewan Medical School ends a placement at a local pregnancy center. And more coming right up. Stay tuned. And welcome back to The Pulse, a monthly roundup of abortion-related news from a pro-life perspective. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Peter. I am the host of the show. And with me again is my good friend and wonderful colleague and co-host, Cameron Cote. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well, Peter. It's exciting to be able to get back into some news. Um, a lot has happened in the month of July around the world. And not only that, not only will we feature a bunch of it today in our update, but you can check out more of it on episode 54, the one posted most recently on our various uh, podcast um, platforms and whatnot, where we have a conversation with um, a representative from a European pro-life organization as she shares about what's going on in multiple different European countries and other countries around the world. Check that out as well on your favorite podcast catcher or on YouTube here. Um, but let's dive into it, Peter. Absolutely. And with our first point of news, we go to Jamaica. The issue of abortion has risen to greater prominence in Jamaican politics recently. According to the Center for Family and Human Rights, Jamaica is currently subject to intense pressure from outside sources as well as inside uh, within their own nation to liberalize its long-standing pro-life laws. And the level of pressure is affected by the status of the abortion debate elsewhere in the world, particularly in the other parts of Central and Southern America. Reuters remarked that, and I quote, debate over the 157-year-old ban has been reignited on the island following Argentina's landmark December decision to legalize abortion and U.S. President Joe Biden's order to restore billions in funding for abortion services worldwide, end quote. Now, while Jamaica is frequently mistaken as a country uh, that has life and health exceptions because it operates under the legal system based on English common law, where this sort of exception is common, the Offenses Against the Person Act actually completely prohibits abortion without exception. And so Jamaica is one of those countries where abortion is completely illegal for any and all circumstances. Now, a 2018 poll of 1,000 Jamaicans conducted by Johnson Survey Research Limited was characterized as finding massive support for a woman's right to have an abortion. Now, that seems kind of discouraging, but the Center for Family and Human Rights noted that the actual findings uh, from this report were actually a little bit more nuanced and illustrated the enormous impact that the phrasing of the question has on these sorts of survey findings. Here's why. While close to 70% of Jamaicans expressed discomfort with the government determining women's pregnancy outcomes, a similar percentage firmly opposed changing the law in order to allow abortion on demand. What this means is that while views were mixed on the role of the law and, and folks were against, I guess, uh, the government getting involved in sort of the, 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 the decisions that women make for abortion, the belief that abortion is immoral, legal or otherwise, appears to be strong among Jamaicans, among both men and women. 
Yeah, Jamaica is simply the last in a long line of countries, especially in Latin America and Southern America, which have taken this um, battering from the, the green tide, as they often dub themselves, of abortion supporters. We've talked about Haiti. We've talked about the Dominican Republic. We've talked about Brazil. And we've talked about Argentina. In all of these countries, we are seeing massive pressure from external and some internal pro-abortion forces trying to bring abortion to their shores. And thankfully, there have been several countries that have withstood that pressure um, so far. And we are already, as we've mentioned in last month's episode, seeing pushback from the Argentinian pro-life community um, challenging that recent um, tragic ruling that happened at the end of last year. One thing that I think is important for Canadians to recognize in this story is that Canadians are in very much uh, responsible for some of this international pressure. A group called the Caribbean Policy Research Institute, which is a pro-abortion research group looking for supposed socioeconomic benefits of having abortion access available, is a group that was established by a uh, non-governmental organization established by the Canadian government through an act of parliament here in Canada. And this report went to try to suggest that everything is basically better when abortion is accessible not only um, does it make for better education, better work habits and, and whatnot when mothers are allowed to kill their preborn children, but they went so far as to suggest in this report for the Jamaican parliament that the Jamaican politicians not be required to um, publicize who is voting for what. They wanted a secret vote so there'd be no repercussions for those politicians who voted obviously opposed um, to what the vast majority of Jamaicans, as that study that you mentioned, Peter, mentioned. Vast majority of Jamaicans still opposing abortion on moral grounds and the notion that a politician could vote in favor of bringing abortion to its country against the will of the people and not have any repercussions. This wasn't about safety. This was simply about them recognizing that the Catholic and Christian population within Jamaica would see to it that these pro-abortion politicians were thrust from office at the earliest opportunity. Um, not that Canadians had a, a direct hand in this, but this is something that we should continue to challenge our own government in the influence that we are having worldwide in bringing abortion more and more accessible to other countries. That, that's a bit of the bad news, but as you mentioned, Peter, um, there is still an overwhelming support for the pro-life uh, worldview and opposition to abortion um, on at least moral terms. And so we hope that we will see um, the, the same result that we have seen in, as I mentioned, the Dominican Republic, in Haiti and other countries as well, in um, holding fast to these pro-life worldviews that we have seen. And we hope that we will continue to have a safe haven for preborn children in Jamaica, um, as we've seen for these other countries throughout the Caribbean, Latin America, and Southern America as well. Yeah, and with that, with uh, coming from a very pro-life nation, we head to a very pro-abortion nation, and that is the United Kingdom. A young woman with Down syndrome is suing the UK government over its eugenic abortion policy. Heidi Carter is a 26-year-old from from Coventry, and she is one of three claimants in a case against the UK government. They are challenging UK legislation that allows for abortion of children with Down syndrome and other fetal anomalies up until birth, saying that it does not respect my life. Jason Koppel, the claimant's barrister, told the high court the current law, and I quote, stereotypes and demeans, end quote. He told Lord Justice Singh and Mrs. Justice Levin that one of the claimants, Mary Leah Wilson, 
quote, believes it is morally and ethically wrong to destroy a life on the grounds of a disability. But we will try and establish that it is legally wrong as well, he said. Miss Leah Wilson of West London says she was bringing the legal challenge because she wanted her son Aiden, and I quote, to grow up knowing he's not someone people have to cope with. He's not a burden to society. He is a wonderful human being in his own right, end quote. Mrs. Carter, one of the acclaimants as well, said, and I quote, I am someone who has Down syndrome, and I find it extremely offensive that a law does not respect my life, and I won't stand for it. I want to change the law, and I want to challenge people's perception of Down syndrome. I want them to look at me and say, this is just a normal person, end quote. Yeah, Peter, I, this is something, as I mentioned off the top, that we touched on in, in the most recent episode we did as the Pro-Life Guys podcast, episode 54, that you can find on your favorite podcast catcher, talking about how, um, for context, in the UK, in England specifically, abortion is allowed for um, mental health reasons, uh, generally accessible for, for a wide number of reasons, up until 24 weeks only. But it is extended beyond 24 weeks, as you mentioned, in cases of quote-unquote fetal anomalies. And this is simply another act of ableism, suggesting that if you are not able or capable of doing a particular sort of thing because of whether it be Down syndrome, whether it be a club foot or a cleft palate or any other supposed disability or, or something that, that caused you to be different than the rest of the population, you get fewer rights, that it is reasonable for a parent to be able to kill you um, the day before birth. And I think that this is a very, very fascinating legal challenge because it shines a light not only on the disparity between um, supposed able-bodied and disabled people, but also just the barbaric nature of abortion laws in the UK and the treatment of those with disabilities. In Canada, we've seen disability groups partner with anti-assisted suicide and euthanasia um, associations as that has been forced in Canada. And it's fascinating to see the collaboration between different pro-life groups in the UK and those that advocate for the rights of those with disabilities. Um, this is something that pro-lifers have made erroneous arguments on for a long time. I, I did a, a video um, several months ago um, around World Down Syndrome Day, talking about how our focus ought not be on the fact that many of those with Down Syndrome live very, very happy lives, which they do, nor the fact that those with disabilities are often capable of doing just as much as those without those disabilities, but rather on the fact that our rights should not be dependent on our ability our capabilities. And so this is encouraging to see this go before the courts. Um, I wish them all the success in the world. And regardless of the legal outcome, I know that this is having a profound educational impact for those in the UK and around the world. I'm definitely keen to see what the outcome is legally, though, because this would be a huge triumph for the pro-life community if we were able to repeal um, this exception within the UK law. That's right. Yeah. And with this, we head to our own nation, Cam, the nation of Canada. And a Winnipeg man has been accused of murdering his toddler after failing to have her aborted several years earlier. According to court reports obtained by the CBC, Frank Nasigamana tried his best to have his pre-born daughter killed before killing her himself after she was born. The first thing the man said when he discovered that his partner... Uh, was pregnant was that she needed to get an abortion. This is what the child's mother said, and I quote, that was the first thing he said. He said he didn't want to have anything to do with it, 
And then he thought, yes, he wanted to abort the baby and he started to plan. And I had told him, no, I don't want to. But he said he wants to. He was going to force me to. And then he tried to. Frank said his only goal was to abort the baby, end quote. At one point, he asked her to, quote, remove the baby, end quote. According to the report, the little girl's mother said that the father also tried to force her to drink a, po a poison of some sort, a liquid. He put his hands against me and forced it into my face, and I realized that was what his intention was. He wanted me to smell it so that it would actually kill the baby. He wasn't listening to me. I told him no, but he forced it on me. When those methods didn't work, he also assaulted the pregnant mother, hoping that the baby would die as a result. Now, the little girl survived all of these attempts from her father and made it out of the womb alive, but that did not stop her father. This past month, 28-year-old Frank Nasigimana was accused of first-degree murder after police say he abducted his daughter from her mother at knife point before stabbing the three-year-old. These stab wounds proved to be fatal, as she was announced dead after being rushed to the hospital. Nasigimana remains in provincial custody today, awaiting for his court date. Cam, now this isn't uh, exactly abortion related in terms of the news of the little girl's death and the stabbing, but could you share with us a little bit about what, you know, the, the sort of messaging that we see and the difference between, you know, abortion and ending the life of a child a little bit later? What sort of commentary can you provide on this? Yeah, so definitely a chilling and heart-wrenching story here, not only for the girl, for her mom, for all those around and involved, but I think that it tells a very, very tragic tale of what is happening and the discrepancy in Canada between the value of preborn and born human life. When you realize that if this father had been successful in um, causing his um, partner to consume that poisonous liquid, to, to abort that child, if the assault on the mother had been successful in causing a miscarriage, this wouldn't be a story. This would not be carried at all. This man might have gotten off with a very, very limited charge um, of abuse towards his partner, but that would have been all. This would not have been uh, mainstream news. I doubt the CBC would have even mentioned it. And yet, because he failed in all of those attempts, and yet was successful three years later, tragically, this becomes mainstream news. Thankfully, this man will hopefully be punished to the fullest extent of the law because of what has been done. But it certainly shines um, a horrifying light on what um, MP Kathy Wagenthal tried to challenge several years ago with her motion about Cassie and Molly's law, a law which would protect um, mothers and preborn children and would punish the guilty perpetrators of assaults like this that were performed on a mother in hopes of killing her child. This was the exact intention of that law. Tragically, that law did not come into um, was not passed by the parliament here in Canada. Um, and because of it, this man probably didn't receive any kind of formal punishment um, at the time. And if he did, obviously he's out and about three years later, um, to which effect he he comes to kill that that poor child. And so certainly our hearts go out to the mother, to the family. Certainly we hope that um, Frank is processed to the fullest extent of the law but we hope that this story, reported by CBC in graphic and, and very, very chilling detail about his attempts on this child's life during um, the pregnancy, hopefully this will shine a light on just how horrifying um, things are 
when we consider the fact, as I mentioned, that if he had been successful before this tiny girl was born, um, this would not be main um, news whatsoever. Very few Canadians would be familiar with this story at all. And so this is a very, very um, sad reality of where we're at in Canada. And we hope that this will continue to challenge people on um, not only the value of human life, but how we behave towards um, the mothers and, and parents of these children and giving them and their children the protection that they absolutely need through pregnancy and long thereafter. The University of Saskatchewan College of Medicine will no longer offer a placement at the local crisis pregnancy care center, the Saskatoon Pregnancy Options Center. According to Global News, pro-choice students complained about the Crisis Pregnancy Center, stating that it is not transparent about their beliefs around abortion and that they spread false medical information. According to Joyce Arthur, the head of the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada, centers like the Saskatoon Pregnancy Options Center, quote, misinform people on abortion in particular, but also contraception and sexual health issues, end quote. Frédéric Chabot, uh, a, a spokesperson with Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights, also complained about the tactics of crisis pregnancy centers like this one, stating that, and I quote, at the end of the day, the purpose is that people make a specific decision when it comes to unplanned pregnancies that they are carrying, end quote. That specific dis decision, uh, Chabot clarified, is to discourage people from having an abortion. Now, the Saskatoon Pregnancy Options Center's website states that they are, and I quote, pro-women, pro-family, and pro-information. We hope it continues that with our support and resources, which are personal counseling, prenatal education, parenting classes, community service referrals, and more, our clients will choose the gift of life, end quote. In other words, abortion supporters are angry that there are centers across our nation that work to support both mothers and their children. They hate that the goal of these centers is both the well-being of the mother and her child in every single circumstance. They can't stand that, you know, these medical students at the University of Saskatchewan are working at these crisis pregnancy centers with Chabot stating that, and I quote, that adds a certain weight and adds a certain legitimacy to the kind of counsel that is being offered at these centers, end quote. And so the University of Saskatchewan caved and medical students will no longer be able to have placements at life-saving and life-affirming centers like this one, which is the Saskatoon Pregnancy Options Center. This is incredibly frustrating, Peter, on so many levels in that this is simply a pregnancy care center that is seeking to provide another option. The vast majority of women who are entering into this pregnancy center are not seeking abortion at all. They've already made up their mind that they want to proceed with their pregnancy, and they are simply offering high levels of medical and counseling support to help them navigate not only their pregnancies, but the early years of childhood. They're connected with a ton of incredibly valuable resources. I've worked in depth with the Calgary Pregnancy Care Center. I've connected with people who are involved with this very pregnancy care center in Saskatoon as well. Um, they're incredible people. They do a very, very good job. They're very, very accurate in their information. And the notion that somehow this pregnancy center would be able to steal somebody off of the streets and out of the clutches of the abortion industry and trick them into going through with the pregnancy is absolutely unfounded. Um, as is very evident for anyone who does pro-life outreach, the, um, the accessibility of information on abortion, especially misinformation slanted towards pro-abortion, is very readily accessible. 
we've covered Peter, you and I on this podcast itself, a couple of different episodes featuring videos on YouTube and other places that endorse abortion, very accessible to anybody who wanted them. This is incredibly frustrating that a pro-life student especially would not be able to um, get legitimate hours from something that they actively support um, the notion that a pro-abortion uh, medical student would be forced to go to a pregnancy care center in the first place is complete nonsense. Um, there, there's an awful lot of sway that they will have in being able to select the, the placement that they have, especially on points of personal belief and whatnot. And so to take this opportunity away, especially from pro-life students, is a tragedy. And to try to sully the good name of the Saskatoon Pregnancy Option Center um, is, is again another attack by the abortion um, rights movement suggesting that pro-lifers are not seeking the best for the mother, for the child, for the entire family. Um, I can't speak highly enough of the Sask Saskatoon Pregnancy Options Centre um, and the work that they're doing there and I hope they will actually receive a rallying amount of success from people in the local area, from across Canada and arguably from around the world for the good work that they are doing in helping mothers and families navigate whatever challenges they may be faced with. With that, we move to the United States. Now, there is a lot happening in the United States. We've talked on a previous episode about the case coming before the United States Supreme Court that could directly challenge Roe versus Wade. Some think it'll it'll take Roe versus Wade off the books. We are a little less confident in that, but do believe that it will continue to gouge its way into the ruling of Roe versus Wade. And so we're excited about that. There's also laws. There are also laws across the nation that are being passed to restrict abortion and protect preborn children. We will talk about those things as they develop in future episodes. But right now, we'd like to focus on the United States Department of Health and Human Services decision to shut down a fetal research ethics advisory board. Now, the Department of Health and Human Services Secretary, Xavier Becerra, who you might remember from our conversation with Alison Centafonte from Live Action, we talked to her about the abortion pill and she brought him up as uh, one of the proponents of the abortion pill, one of those who is pushing it uh, at great length. Well, he sh recently shut down the National Institutes of Health's Human Fetal Tissue Ethics Advisory Board. This was a board that was responsible for providing oversight for human fetal tissue research and experimentation. And the board formally had the ability to veto research proposals that it found ethically questionable. Now, according to live action, 137 congressional Republicans sent a letter to Becerra making the case that this decision ought to be overturned due to the poor ethical track record of previously federally funded projects involving fetal tissue. The letter included examples of this, highlighting documents obtained via the Freedom of Information Act, which revealed the FDA's routine, and I quote, orders for eyeballs, livers, skin, brains, skulls, and sometimes fully intact bodies of infants aborted in the second trimester, end quote. The letter also mentions the recent findings of the Center for Medical Progress, including the horrific experimentations of, and I quote, scalping five-month-old aborted fetuses to stitch onto lab rats, end quote, and killing infants alive for liver harvesting. However, it looks like the National Institute of Health's Human Fetal Tissue Ethics Advisory Board will not be reinstated. 
Yeah, Peter, this is just another example of of Biden and Harris's administrations willing to to fight for abortion rights and and access to um, preborn children and their bodies after they've been aborted, um, and and just trying to. Um, bring down the ethics all the way across the board. This is incredibly discouraging. And though this board probably wasn't hindering all experimentation on preborn children's bodies, um, the desecration of their bodies will be only heightened after this decision. Um, and and this is something that we've seen. David Daleiden and his expose of the abortion industry, um, as live action has reported as well. And as you mentioned, there are already far too many chilling stories of what is being performed on the bodies of these precious children and the fact that there will be absolutely no ethical oversight um, will will not only increase that but also further jeopardize the livelihoods of these children as there is likely a greater push um, for this in the marketing of bodies uh, babies baby bodies and body parts um, this is something that should be concerning for anyone who listens, not only because it is grotesque and disgusting, the fact that they're experimenting on these bodies of children, but the fact that this simply fuels the abortion industry to perform abortions in um, horrifying ways to ensure that these um, body parts are not only procured whole, but often, I'm sure, will only fuel um, the argumentation from the pro-abortion movement suggesting the benefits and value that comes from abortion. Somehow this argument resonates with with people in America and around the world. It boggles my mind the fact that they can say, oh, well, if if abortion is actually going to help these cancer treatments and these other things, and I'm all for, I'm, I'm willing to further support abortion access in America and around the world. It's absolutely bonkers that this is a compelling argument. But as we see the fact that they continue making the argument, this is something that pro-lifers have to be aware of the fact that they, this will be suggested as helping more people and abortion will have a greater quote-unquote utility towards serving the greater public. Um, this is something that we absolutely have to push back on. This is something that the Biden-Harris administration will be continuing to push, and it's something that pro-lifers have to be ready to respond to, not only in the next federal election, but right now in talking to their local representatives and putting more and more pressure on those decision makers so that this and others can be reversed. That's right. Thank you so much for that commentary, Cam. And with that, we reach the end of our episode. We reach the end of The Pulse where we share important and interesting pro-life news from around the world. If you like this show, I want to encourage you to give us a five-star review and share this show with your friends, whether it's this episode, whether it's another. Let your friends know about the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Not only will this counter some of those one-star reviews that we get from time to time from abortion supporters, but it'll also work to get abortion-related news from a pro-life perspective. It'll work to get solid pro-life apologetics and more content from the abortion war to the top of the charts. And when it gets to the top of the charts, more and more people will find the content. So please help out with that uh, by sharing this podcast with your friends, by, by giving that five-star review and, uh, and leaving a comment as well. If you're watching on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button with the notification bell so that you never miss out on any of this content and so that you force YouTube to let you know every time good pro-life content comes on your on your page and is released. So uh, please do that if you want to reach out to us in any way. You can do that on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or our website, www 
prolifeguys.com, www.prolifeguys.com. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of The Pulse, this July 2021 episode. We hope you tune in again next time. God bless each and every one.